Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Friday, August the 12th, 2022. It is currently 3.19 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas, where I'm supposed to, I guess, put you in a DeLorean, hit 88 miles per hour, and go back, well, not really to the future, but to go back, back, back. We, we have, in other words, yes, uh, not a great illustration, but we have to go back in time. That's what we're going to do. We're going to go all the way back, all the way back to Sunday, July the 17th. 2022. Okay, so maybe not that far, but that, that's, 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 I mean, today is August the 12th. So almost a month ago, we're going to go back a month ago, almost a month ago. And I don't know if you will remember, I don't know what you were doing on Sunday, July the 17th, 2022, but I was either standing behind the pulpit or sitting in front of this microphone. I don't remember exactly which location I was at. And I was talking to you about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And that was part 19 in our series on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, on our Bible study exercise on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And for some of you, I think you appreciated the approach I took. Others were very not happy with it. But I I, I basically took the approach that if you look at the church at large, when it comes to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, we make all kinds of claims all kinds of promises that just absolutely contradict the reality of the average Christian life. We say the Holy Spirit will give you power to do this, and the Holy Spirit will do this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. And then you look at the average Christian life, and you're like, well, if the Holy Spirit's giving us all of this power and information and knowledge and speaking to us and guiding us and doing all of these things, you think, I don't know, that we would actually see it in some actual meaningful way other than pretending something is there that isn't? And so I know that was a very, probably not the approach some people would have preferred me to take, but it was the one that I felt I had to take because you hear so much and yet it contradicts reality. And we have, we, we have to at least address that so that we spent 19 episodes, probably well over 19 hours working on the subject. I think we did a halfway decent job. I, I think I think we did. You 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 can go back and listen and draw your own conclusions. But it's August, and we are circling back to that series, Bible study exercise, the Holy Spirit, and this is going to be part twenty because well, I I, I felt that maybe we didn't do as much as we could have, and I I, I felt like that we 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 should go back, especially because. On August the 11th, 2022, at 9.03 a.m., so yesterday, I received the following email. This was on August the 11th, 2022, so we go back to July, what, 17th, now we come back to August the 11th, yesterday, again at 9.03 a.m., and here is the email I received, here is the, the title of it. New series on the Holy Spirit begins August the 11th. And I was like, oh, wait, 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 wait. 
some ministry out there is going to begin a series on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Well, I'm going to take at least some of it. I'm going to point everyone who's been listening to our study and its direction so they will hear a a different perspective. I guarantee you this ministry is not going to give the same perspective I did, but I'm not worried about that. I'd like you to hear the different perspectives as you struggle through some of the theological questions that I love to raise here on the Theology Central podcast, right? So here is a little bit of information. New series on the Holy Spirit begins August the 11th. The ministry that's bringing this to you is Insight for Living. That's the ministry of Pastor Chuck Swindoll. Now, I'll just briefly mention my uh, kind of engagement with Pastor Chuck Swindoll, my, I guess my relationship with his ministry. I've told the story so many times. When I first became a Christian, um, I was I had a million questions. I was starving for as much Bible study and as many sermons and as much teaching as I could get. I would I was going to anything and everything that was being offered. And I, I'm just going to tell you, I, I this is it, it had a major impact on me then, and it still has a major impact on me. I felt that the local church, I was in a Southern Baptist church when I first got saved, just there was no real spiritual food. I was a teenager. They put me in the youth group and it was fun, food, games, capture the flag, six flags. It was just, I was like, I don't care. I don't need you to give me fun. I've got the fun part of my life down. I can have as much fun as I want. I want Bible, theology, scripture, doctrine. I I, I need help spiritually. I didn't come to church for fun. Now, the rest of the kids seemed to be more than happy with the fun and it made no sense to me. But I guess many of them were raised in a Christian home and they just wanted church to be fun where I didn't want church to be fun. I wanted church to be a place of learning, equipping, discipling. That's what I was begging for and I didn't get it. So, unfortunately, I had to look for that outside of the local church and I found it in the form of Christian radio. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Every day after school, I got home as fast as I could, turned on the radio. I had three notebooks, one pencil, and a Bible, right? And this is what I did. One one notebook was dedicated to Chuck Swindoll. One notebook was dedicated to John MacArthur. And one notebook was dedicated to Chuck Smith from Calvary Chapel. And I would listen and I would take as many notes as I could. Man, I would just fill in those notebooks with their sermon notes. Swindoll taught me the importance of biblical application. John MacArthur taught me the importance of biblical exposition. And Chuck Smith taught me... Chuck Smith taught me... Yeah, that notebook never got filled. I know this is going to sound mean. I know. But look, no matter how much we like to pretend, the reality is the, the preaching style can greatly impact whether you get something from it or not. We, we may try to act more spiritual, but it just Chuck Smith, it was like, wait, you're still talking? Wait, wait, you're still talking? Wait, wait, you're still, because it was just, I don't know. I, I don't think I wrote one thing down in that notebook. Swindoll MacArthur, the notebooks were like, I mean, one notebook after another notebook after another notebook after another notebook. So Swindoll became a major influence 
on my early Christian life and on my preaching. My, my preaching was really influenced by MacArthur's idea of verse-by-verse exposition, but it wasn't just expound the text. There has to be some kind of applying the text that is true to the exposition, and Swindolf seemed to focus more on the application where MacArthur focused more on the exposition, and I took the two concepts together and said, I'm going to bring both of them into my teaching. So um, that that had a profound impact on me, and I listened to Swindoll for years, bought books, study guides, just had a profound impact on me. Now, it doesn't mean I agree with every single thing, nor do I did I agree with everything MacArthur said, um, but it, they were super important. So, Insight for Living, Chuck Swindoll. There's my, there's kind of my relationship with Swindoll, my, my engagement with his ministry. Uh, yesterday started a brand new series, and, and, and to be fair, a lot of the series on uh, for Swindoll's ministries are no longer new. They're actually old series that they bring back because this one is called Flying Closer to the Flame. Flying Closer to the Flame, which was a book he put out, obviously based off a sermon series that he did in the past, and they're just re-airing it starting yesterday, but it's 2022. Now you don't have to find the radio station and rush home and try to listen when it goes, when it's live. No, you can just look up Insight for Living podcast and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast, and you can start listening to the series as well. Here is how they described it in the email. Right, flying closer to the flame, like reading the dictionary's definition of fire versus seeing its blaze and feeling its heat. This series moves you nearer to the Holy Spirit, so you might experience Him as you cultivate personal and practical relationship with Him. In this 14-message series, Pastor Chuck Swindoll removes the fog of separation many Christians feel regarding the person of the Holy Spirit. Flying Closer to the Flame will air on partner radio stations August the 11th to September the 28th. You can also listen to the series by downloading the Insight for Living uh, Ministries mobile app or by by visiting insight.org. And don't forget to download our Searching the Scripture studies that accompany each message. Join the study about the Holy Spirit and discover how to fly closer to the flame. Our mysterious divine helper, he's ready. Are you? Now, you can go look it up. You can you can download their app, whatever you want to do. I would. Now, again, I'm not I'm going to just 100% tell you if you listen to our 19 parts on the Holy Spirit, I'm going to disagree probably with a lot that they have to say. But again, I want you to hear it anyway. I want you to hear the different perspectives and you can struggle with it. But I I would challenge you this as you listen to the 14 part series that they did. They're 14 message series on the Holy Spirit. As you listen to Chuck Swindoll, take it apart. I just want you to listen to the claims that are made about the Holy Spirit does this and the does, the does this. And because you have the Holy Spirit, you can do this and you can do that and you can do this. And I want you just to be honest and go, I don't think that's even close to the reality of the average church, the average Christian, or even my own life. And you have to ask yourself why. I think there's a lot of just really messed up teaching when it comes to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So what we're going to do is I just want, I really, a part of me just wanted to turn on the microphone and tell you, go, go find it. Insight for Living, listen to their series on the Holy Spirit. It started yesterday. You'll find it wherever you get your podcast from. All right. I, I looked it up. Uh, let's see. 
I found it on Pocket Cast. I don't know. Apple Podcasts. I, I just started looking at all the different podcast apps. You should not have any problem finding it. Should be on the Edify Christian Podcast app as well if you if you uh, use that app. But oneplace.com, their app, it's, it should be there as well. It should be basically everywhere. So if you cannot find it, email me, newsifyahoo.com, and I will help you find it because I want you to hear a different perspective on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. But I thought we would at least, this. I think what I'm going to do is we're going to do a review at least the first episode, and then but I'm going to continue to listen to the episodes, and I'm going to mark down like it's at very specific times in each episode, like, oh, okay, at the 10-minute mark, that's very important, or the 14-minute mark, write it down on, in a notebook, and then I'll come back, grab the audio, and just play those specific sections or, you know, a longer section that I think may add something to our conversation in regards to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So we're just going to extend this series a little more that we've been doing, and hopefully you will find something that is beneficial. So does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. All right. Are you ready? Here we go. This was from yesterday. Insight for Living, their new series, which is actually an old series, Flying, flying Closer to the Flame, Flying Closer to the Flame. Um, if, if you remember the book, it had a purple, like a purple cover and it had like a feather on it. You, you, I, I know I, I have the book somewhere in my garage with my 50,000 other books, but um yeah. So this probably was a very instrumental book early in my Christian life, trying to understand the doctrine of the Holy Spirit because, well, local church wasn't doing its job, but that's a whole different sermon. All right, here we go. Today from Chuck Swindoll, I am convinced we are emptying our churches with people who gather together a set of notes which will do them virtually no good. If a series of messages on any subject related to the living God does not in some way change your life, something's wrong with the teaching or something's wrong with the one who has been listening. Wow. Okay. We're coming in. We're coming in with a, a slap across the face that we could forget the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Now, now I, I think I know where he's going to possibly say the answer to this problem is. So let, let's listen to this again because this is some. This is a really man. This could turn into a podcast series right here. We're thirty five seconds in, and I could literally stop this, and we could start a a podcast series, not even talking about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I think possibly because I know this series is about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, because I already know that. Then it seems to me that he's going. Is he going to offer the Holy Spirit as the answer to this problem? But we've got a long history of Christianity of this problem not necessarily being resolved just by the Holy Spirit. So let's go back. I'm going to play this again. Listen carefully to the problem he describes here. Today from Chuck Swindoll. I am convinced we are emptying our churches with people who gather together a set of notes which will do them virtually no good. Now, do you feel that the church 
they empty out the church. The people come to church, they empty out, they leave with a set of notes that virtually do them absolutely no good. Now, I will say first and foremost that a lot of people leave church without any notes. They don't even take any notes. All right, so that's number one. A lot of people don't even bother to take notes, okay? Some churches, they're set up with really without even really wanting people to take notes. They, they throw everything up on the screen. I mean, you, we could talk about, so I think on one hand, now remember this was probably preached in the 1980s, may, maybe the 70s, 90s. I, I don't remember the actual date of this series because I don't give us that. I wish they would. I wish they would give us the actual date this was preached because that gives us some historical context of what was going on in the church. Now, maybe if you go back to the 70s or the 80s and the 90s, Maybe more people in church, that would be interesting. Do you think people take more notes now or less notes? That, that would be an interesting question. I, I think people take less notes now. I, I, I personally think they take less. I could be wrong, but I, I feel like that even in my own ministry, there was a time everyone was taking notes. And I think now it's like, what, and what I've primarily seen, I, I always say this and I tick off somebody, but... Primarily, I've always seen it being the women taking notes at a far greater rate and far greater accuracy and far greater depth than men. That's just what I have witnessed. You can draw your own conclusion. But I, but even if the, even let, let's just go for hypothetical argument that everyone is taking notes. Do you think the church is emptying itself out? Like here's all the people they come and they all leave. They all have notes but those notes do virtually no good in their lives. Or we could say it this way. Our church is filled every Sunday with a whole lot of people who leave and literally everything that took place in the ch in church service that Sunday was an absolute waste of time because it made absolutely no significant significance in anyone's life. Now, I, I, I definitely can be very, I, I talked about this in the last live uh, broadcast, I can be very cynical. And there's times when I'm driving to church and I'm just thinking, you know, like I'll see other churches and see all the people. I'm like, and then I'll ride up at my own church and I'm like, what are we doing? Are we really accomplishing anything? Everyone shows up and then everyone leaves. Or did we, did anything of great significance happen. Now, I know maybe there's never really a true way to measure that, but he's at least bringing up the issue. Do, do a lot of people show up, they all leave with notes. In other words, they got great notes. It was a great sermon, but it doesn't do anything in anyone's life. I'm going to back that up again, and I'll play everything he said. Here we go. Today, from Chuck Swindoll. I am convinced we are emptying our churches with people who gather together a set of notes which will do them virtually no good. If a series of messages on any subject related to the living God does not in some way change your life, something's wrong with the teaching or something's wrong with the one who has been listening. So there he brings up 
are we emptying out the churches with people who have all kinds of notes, but it doesn't change their life? And if it doesn't change their life, he points to two possible problems. The problem is the teacher, the preacher is failing, or the people in the pew are failing. Who's, Who's at fault? Who's at fault? Is it the preacher or is it the listener? I think the people in the pew would blame the preacher, and I think the preacher would blame the people in the pew. Whose fault is it? Now, I yesterday I, I was looking at an article in regards to the younger generation that is coming up that they're just basically like many of them have a commitment to Christ, but they're just not going to church. They're just like, whatever, not going. They're just kind of abandoning the church. They're done with the church. And I, I kind of tried to ask some people about maybe why. A lot of people had some different perspectives. Um, but I've, I've struggled with the question a good portion of my Christian life. What, what are we really accomplishing at church? What are we really doing? Look, I, I kind of struggle with that every time I sit in front of this microphone. Am I really accomplishing anything? I can spend two, three, four hours up here, you know, quote unquote, in my studio in front of a microphone talking theology, doctrine, this, 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 this. And then sometimes you're just like, that was a lot of words. Did I do, did I do anything of significance? Is anything I even said going to be remembered? There's always a little bit of just, at least at least from my perspective, doubt from the preaching, teaching perspective. I don't know how the people in the pew, I, I always say the people in the pew sometimes, they never speak up. Like, do they ever feel like this is a waste of time? And why do they think it's a waste of time? Now, I will argue that at least from what I have seen, I don't want to put it all on the people, but it's very difficult to get the people to do anything beyond showing up. Like if you say, all right, okay, I want you this week to work on this, or or like I do here at the Bible study exercise, I give assignments. It's hard to get people to actually participate in any of that. And I just don't know how much can 40 minutes of listening, or or in my case, an hour plus of listening, like, because I talk a long, a long time. I wonder like, does that really does that really mean does that really accomplish anything or do we really have to co- leave and do something with what we have heard do some kind of study some kind of assignment some kind like does it require to do more or is just listening sufficient I don't know he's bringing up an interesting reality a lot of people go to church and it doesn't change their life whose fault is it pastor or people in the pew what is he going to put forth as the answer well if if I mean, I'm assuming he's going to say the Holy Spirit is the answer. And is that the answer to fix everything? Let's see what he has to say. Today on Insight for Living, Chuck Swindoll begins his next teaching series, this time on the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's called Flying Closer to the Flame. Now, if you're totally satisfied in your Christian walk, seldom frustrated, and rarely dissatisfied with yourself, then this study is likely not for you. But if your soul is hungry for something more and you're eager to experience all the blessings God has in store for you, stick around. Chuck titled the very first message in this series, Let's Get Reacquainted with the Spirit. Also, I think it's an important, I think it's an important theological question. 
if he's going to point to the Holy Spirit being the answer to this dilemma, that raises serious questions, right? Because if we are, as believers, are all in dwelt with the Holy Spirit, and if we are seeing an absence of change or, or transformation or whatever, do we blame the Holy Spirit? I mean, he's offered, he's offered up, we can blame the people in the pew, we can blame the people in the pulpit, but if the Holy Spirit is in me, should he not be able to override the weaknesses of the preacher and my own weaknesses to produce the fruit and the change and the transformation that God desires? I mean, God is more powerful than me, right? So if there's a lack of change, if there's failure, if there's sin, does like this is a very just a very important theological question. It, I think it's very reasonable for someone to go, well, wait a minute. If God's the one who wants this and this and this in my life, why isn't that not occurring? That that I mean, I think it's a reasonable question. I, I'm, I'm assuming in this series, Chuck Swindoll would at least address. Now I'm joking because nobody ever really wants to address some of these hard questions, but. Let's continue. Miss Johnson had a tough task. Her lesson plan called for teaching her primary kids about the Trinity. Tough enough to keep their attention, but to try to teach them about the three members of the Trinity being one in characteristic attribute and purpose was a formidable task. So she thought the best way to do it would be to use a pretzel, a large pretzel that was interwoven, one piece of pastry, leaving three big holes in the middle, which she held up before the class and began to point out that the first hole would represent God the Father, the second could represent God the Son, and the third would represent God the Holy Ghost. And she went over this over and over again, how it is all one unit, and yet there are three distinct holes or three distinct parts. And she had the class repeat the names again and again. And finally, three distinct persons. But okay, all right. I always always get nervous when any preacher starts dealing with the doctrine of the Trinity because it almost look. I've I've often said all you can really do is say okay. It, it, let's come up with an exact definition for the Trinity and don't say anything more because the minute you start talking, explaining, or illustrating, you either slide over into Sabellianism, modalism, you almost slide into some heresy. You've got to be very precise with the doctrine of the Trinity or you destroy one God, three distinct persons, co-equal, co-eternal, but okay. So, but all right, uh, this is a typical Swindoll. He's, uh, he's, he loves uh, using illustrations and stories, and he's great at telling them. Uh, so that's one of the reasons that always made him a pleasure to listen to. So, all right, here's, I think she, he said, Mr. Miss Johnson, trying to teach kids about the Trinity, holding up a pretzel, showing that it's all one unit, but there's these three holes there that I guess she's saying it represents the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three persons, but yet they are one. Okay, here we go. Finally, she chose Johnny down front, who had been paying such close attention. And she said, would you like to come up in front of the class and point out the three members of the Trinity? And he said, yes, ma'am, I could do that. And he held up the big pretzel, and she and he said, this is the, the Father, and this is the Son, and this is the Holy Smoke. <laughs> we laugh at Johnny, and yet... Even though he couldn't say it quite right, most of us would be hard-pressed 
to explain the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. It is unclear in the minds of most Christians to say nothing of those who don't even know the Lord. And there are reasons that it is unclear. We all have fathers, and so trying to identify with the concept of a father is not that difficult. The father, at least in the healthy home, is the one who is, who is the one that guides. He is the one who is, who is sort of the decision maker. He is the one who is in charge, and he sort of has the final vote. He is the leader in the family, and we understand that somewhat. And then the Son of God, we have been taught of Him all of our lives, all of our Christian lives. He is the one who has gone to the cross and has died for our sins. And it's, it's clear He became a man. He became a human being like we are. And that's not hard to identify with. But the Holy Spirit, and especially in the old days when He was called the Holy Ghost, how can you understand what that means? That's that's a, that's a good point. I mean, the little story at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, okay. Uh, it, it, it was quick enough to get you to the point, all right, that there's confusion. I think it's a good point that we can kind of relate to the concept of father. We can relate to the concept of son, especially Jesus taking on humanity, taking on human flesh. We have some way to relate we can grab on to, but the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, that seems more vague, more difficult to really grasp on to. And maybe, maybe that's what leads to so much confusion. I I don't really think, I think what leads to so much confusion is that we constantly sell the Holy Spirit as like, you know, call now and get the Holy Spirit and boom, you do, you get this and this and this and this and this, but wait, there's more. And then we, we, we the Holy Spirit is always handled in a way that that I think it almost contradicts any understanding of reality but we'll we'll see where he goes with it but this this is this is good I, I I like the way he's he's developing this and the role of the father in the Bible is clear he is the planner of all things he is sovereignly in control he has set in motion a plan of redemption a plan that is working out for ultimate good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. That's fairly clear. And the role of the son, he is implementing the plan of God in the, in the work and the act of salvation. And once again, our faith has rested upon that mediator between God and men, the, the man, Christ Jesus, throughout our Christian lives. He is the one who has been raised from the dead by the power of the Father. But then it gets vague. Then it's not too clear. Now that the the Father has, has set in motion a plan, and now that the Son of God has carried out his part of the plan, what exactly is the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit? Okay, once again, another good way of explaining it. We can understand Father and Son, Holy Spirit's vague, hard for us to grasp. 
We can understand the work of the Father. We can understand the work of the Son. But what is the role of the Holy Spirit? And if you think about it, it can't be as easy as everyone pretends that some people try to pretend that it is. Because think about all of the disagreements that have existed in church history in regards to the Holy Spirit. I mean, the entire division between the charismatic and the non-charismatic is really all about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's a, that's a major part of it. So clearly... There is a sin and and a level of mystery and confusion and vagueness that has led to conflict and division. So, but all right, this this is some good stuff. Interestingly, if the spirit is ever taught from pulpits or in classes, usually the approach is more theological than it is practical. Uh, this was illustrated to me this past week when I. Now, that's interesting. I will argue that there was a change. I think there was a time that the Holy Spirit was taught more theological, but I think over time that even in in conservative churches, the Holy Spirit is taught more from an experiential standpoint about experiencing the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does this, and now you have power, and you can do this, and you can do this. It's all about the Holy Spirit is always connected with power and ability and insight and knowledge and and all of these like it's almost like supernatural abilities. I I don't think maybe 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 there was a time that it was more theological, but I think that there was almost a rejection of that. I think there was a push against it that we're treating the Holy Spirit like an academic subject and it needs to be something more experiential. Clearly the explosion of the charismatic movement moved it into an experiential realm. So, but he, he says he's going to give an example or, or he, he, something happened that showed him how it's handled from a theological perspective. Let's see what he says. I looked up some old notes I taught many years ago back in the 60s on the work and ministry and person of the Holy Spirit. I had a hard time finding those notes because I I had filed them under some subject and it wasn't under H for Holy Spirit. It wasn't under Spirit. It wasn't under Ghost. I found it under the letter P, Pneumatology. That ought to tell you something about how I approached the subject back in the in the early and mid 60s. The the whole concept of the Spirit as the pneuma of God. We get our- See now, that's to me, that's a good thing. He's saying it almost in a negative. Say, I had it filed under pneumatology. I mean, come on. How ridiculous. No, that's not ridiculous. If you think about it, because this is so when we when we study God the Father or God the Son, we usually we're, uh, are studying them under either a study of Christo- Christology or of, of theology proper, we, we, we still place them in a theological category. So even from a Christological standpoint or a theological standpoint, so why would, why would the study of the Holy Spirit, if we place it under a theological thing, it's almost said as a negative? No, I, I think the problem is, is when we abandon the theological for the experiential, that's where the problem started. I think that's where we turn the Holy Spirit into something so vague that we can grab onto it and claim that it's doing this and this and this when clearly 
it's not. I think it has to be studied from a, not only a theological perspective, but very much from a scriptural standpoint, ba- grounded in some kind of reality of what we actually see and what we actually experience. We shouldn't be teaching something that we are experiencing, something that nobody's actually experiencing. We all have to pretend. Our word pneumatic from it as it represents air. It's the whole idea of breath. The subject is approached theoretically. The Spirit is God. The Spirit does these sterile works. Now, they're important, and they especially make theologians excited. These words that men and women in theological seminaries toss around and compare and contrast. His baptizing work, his role as deity, a member of the Godhead, his regeneration, his sealing, his filling, and of course, his work as he keeps us secure. But when I looked over all of those notes, I, I thought all of these things are true, but they make so little difference. Even if I... Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, no, no. I, oh man, now I'm getting flashbacks. I'm getting a bad vibe here. Okay. Now I'm not saying this is where Swindoll is going, but I'll just, I've told the story a million times when we first moved back to Texas, we're trying to find a church, trying to find a church, trying to find a church, trying to find a church. And so uh, we had visited a church and the pastor came over and I was asking theological question after theological question, after theological question, after theological question. And finally he's like, you know, I, are you going to get to something practical? What is more practical than theological understanding of God and and the Holy Spirit? I don't like this that, you know, it was all theological. It was all theoretical, but it wasn't practical. When we started focusing on the practical, I think we ended up in many cases compromising and contradicting the theological and the biblical. Because it became something more about an experience, something about a feeling, something that was supposedly practical without even worrying about theological precision and and theological correctness. I've taught them over a period of months. Uh, Why should it thrill anyone to be able to explain the difference between grieving and quenching the spirit? Now, we should know what those words mean, but what is so significant about knowing the difference? How does it What's the significance? Does the Bible speak of grieving and quenching? If the Bible uses two different terms, and if those two different terms mean completely different things, then I would assume it's extremely practical for us to know the difference, right? I get nervous when pastors are like, well, that doctrine, that theology, that's just not practical. I hate that. There's, listen, everything practical has to be based off a correct theology. Anything practical that's not based off a correct theology, it stops being practical and it becomes false. It becomes heretical. It becomes apostasy. You can't pursue a practical Christian life apart from correct theology. Correct theology lays the foundation for, quote-unquote, the practical. The practical cannot be based off wrong theology or ignoring theology. 
help anyone to know the root meaning of the word parakletos, translated uh, comforter or in our Bibles, helper. Why would you say it doesn't help anyone to know parakletos and, and comforter? And why, why would you say it doesn't mean anything? Why would you say that it doesn't help anyone? They need to understand the term, the Holy Spirit, parakletos, comforter. We need to understand that. What is it? How does, wait, because we're going to, we want to talk about the practical effects of the comfort we receive from the Holy Spirit. Well, we have to understand parakletos and what comfort is actually, what comfort is actually he was sent to bring. What was the comfort? Because we can just practically assign any kind of comfort, but we need a correct understanding of the comfort. How is he a comforter and what comforter does he provide according to a correct biblical understanding? How can he say knowing the root of that or the understanding of that doesn't help anyone? I mm, No, without these correct understanding, you end up with theological chaos. When you focus on the practical at the experience of the theological, the practical becomes theological chaos. Look at what happened in the church. The practical, the experiential. And it turned into apostasy and theological chaos, theological anarchy. It doesn't help us. It, It doesn't do anything for us. Who cares if you can define the difference between the work of the Holy Spirit before Pentecost and the work of the Holy Spirit after Pentecost? There is- what do you mean, who cares? If the work before is different than the work after, and I live after and not before, I need to understand that difference. Because I need to go, when I'm reading the Old Testament, I need to see, well, there's a difference before Pentecost so I, I should not look to that or expect that or even think that that has any relationship to me. But after, that's what applies to me. What do you mean, who cares? That is a serious question. That is a significant question of understanding the difference, if there is a difference. There's a definite significance. And the difference is of great importance. But if all you do is define and Describe the difference, and you still live an empty life? Well, wait a minute. So he says it is significance, but just defining it. But the significance can't be understood without the definition. You've got to define before you can think. But then he goes, but you still have an empty life? See, this is all about if you're not changed, if you don't have an empty life, then all of the theology doesn't matter. A lot of people will look at you and go, the theology didn't doesn't do anything for me, so I don't want a church preaching theology. I want a church preaching something more practical. That is always the death knell to biblical truth. That is the end of it. When you start saying, I want it practical, I want it applicable, I want it, I want it to meet my my heartfelt needs, you're destroying theological accuracy and you end up with theological chaos now i know that's what he's not intending to say but that's really what how it's going to be heard by many sitting in the pew you still find yourself regularly ignorant of a power that rests within you i was looking at the hymnal just before this message and i I, uh, I found that if there is ever one part of the average church hymnal that is vague, 
and sort of foggy with symbolism. It's the hymns on the Spirit of God. And all due respect for the composers, I'm sure they had good in mind when they wrote the words, but breathe on me, breath of God. What does that mean? And so what if he does? And how will I know it when he stops? And what difference does it make as I sense his breath? I'll be, I'll be very, very frank with you as close as this gets to cynicism. I don't mean it that way. We have missed it. We preachers have missed it as it relates to the teaching of the practical side of the Holy Spirit. When it is all said and done and we have gotten through with all of our theological explanations, I am convinced we are emptying our churches with people who gather together a set of notes which will do them virtually no good. If a series of messages on any subject related to the living God does not in some way change your life, something's wrong with the teaching or something's wrong with the one who has been listening. Where are we going in this series? I, I've decided to go after the real side of the Spirit of God and uh, some of the unspoken defi- uh, dimensions of his work because it is these things that will alter our course in a sin-cursed world. Let me show you some examples of uh, what is on my list, though I don't have time for it to be an exhaustive list. Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, verse 17, will be the first reference I want to use. And I just want to mention a thought and then go to another reference. Acts 20, 17. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. The he is Paul. And when they had come to Paul, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now... Behold, bound in spirit, look at that, bound in spirit, I am, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. What? is this testifying inner ministry of the Spirit that is so strong in Paul, he says, I am bound in spirit. You'll notice the marginal reference in the New American Standard Bible correctly suggests it is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Bound. Okay, now... I would have questions. Is that supposed to be understood as, as the Holy Spirit? King James has, and now behold, I go bound in the Spirit, does not have a capital S, right? So does that mean the Holy Spirit? 
And not only that, you are in the book of Acts, so you're going to even deal with the issue that you're in a very much a transitional book, and the Holy Spirit does and works in ways that clearly it's not operational today with any reasonable person would see the difference. Do we not at least consider that? Right? And uh, I'm going to look at I'm going to look at this verse in a different translation, Acts chapter 20. I'm just going to see if 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 any of them capitalize spirit here. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. Okay, well this one does uh, capitalize it. And now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, or in. But they but they have the footnote here is or in my spirit. That he is compelled in his spirit, not necessarily by the spirit. So there's disagreement on whether that's the Holy Spirit or not the Holy Spirit. See, see, these are those academic questions that preachers like, nope, that, that doesn't help anyone. No, it's the, the text raises the, is it the spirit? Is it not the, which is it? Which is it? I'll have to ask uh, those who did the topical study what they did with this verse if they if they included it or did not include it, I'll, I'll have to ask because now I'm curious of what they put down in their notes uh, for those who did the topical study on the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to definitely check. But let's let's see where he takes this. By the Holy Spirit, there is some sense of irresistibility. There is this presence of God that is so firmly fixed in Paul that he says, I've set my face like a flint. I'm on my way to Jerusalem, and I don't know what, will, what I will face there, but I know this, the Spirit of God has testified to me. Testified, he uses the word. Now, I just want, I just, again, the theological issues, the practical issues that come up here, it just, just preachers say so many things about the Holy Spirit and never think about the implications. Just consider this implication. If there's an irresistibility to the Spirit's work in you that you can be bound by the Spirit, you have to do what it tells you to do. You have to go where it tells you to go. If we can be bound by the Spirit, then what would be the obvious question every Christian should ask? Then why am I not, why am I not bound by the Spirit? to not sin, because the Holy Spirit could just bound me, and I don't desire sin, don't want sin, and can't be tempted by sin, I never sin. Why, why doesn't the Holy Spirit bound me to only desire scripture and prayer and the things of God? And I'm, and I'm not tempted by the love of the world, uh, by the, the, uh, the lust of the, uh, the lust of the flesh, uh, the pride of life. I'm not, I'm not, the, uh, I'm not bound by any of that, influenced by any of that in any way, shape, or form. Why would that not be the question? If the Holy Spirit can bound me and it's an irresistible force, then why doesn't the Holy Spirit just bound all Christians? They're all Binded by the Spirit to do to love God, love others, do this, do. But clearly, that's not the case because sin still resides in me, and the Holy Spirit's not binding me, bounding me in some way to keep me from that struggle. And that, that it doesn't work that way. So, if you're going to point to this text and say there's like an irresist, this first he identifies this as being the Holy Spirit when obviously there's not agreement even on that. He doesn't even deal with that. Then he says it, there's an irresistibility to it. Doesn't even deal with all of the possible problems that that could, that could create in dealing with how the Holy Spirit works in the average Christian's life. Because if the Holy Spirit can just bind me, well then, okay, Holy Spirit, bound me, bind me, 
control me so that I never sin and I never do anything. But it clearly doesn't work that way. Word, verse 23, that there are afflictions that await me. Ever had such witness within yourself? Such testifying? Look at Romans 8. I'll just, I'll, I'll move out of Acts and, and go into um, a couple or three of the letters. Look at Romans 8, verse 22. This is another unspoken part of the work of the Spirit, but very important to us. Uh, 8.22 of Romans. We know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons and the redemption of our body. For we hope, for in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Now keep reading. In the same way as our persevering in the midst of of trial, waiting eagerly, for solutions in the same way, the Spirit, and this is the Holy Spirit, helps our weakness. He helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Ponder that. In fact, he adds, he who searches the hearts, that would be God, the Lord himself, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I'm intrigued by that. I don't believe I've ever had anyone address the groanings of the Spirit of God. And how in some way, in the times of deepest trials, when I cannot seem to get my thoughts disentangled so that I can put my aches into words, he is dispatched to my rescue and he interprets my garbled, emotionally drained feelings into words. How... Significant, And yet, how could we have spent our entire Christian life without somebody addressing this work of the Spirit that in some ways is, is so powerful, it's too deep for words? 1 Corinthians 2, speaking of these uh, two things too deep for words, I, I thought of this Example in uh, the early part of the First Corinthian letter, First Corinthians two nine. These, by the way, are very intimate things. They're very intimate things, very personal things. There are there are things that are so near and dear to Cynthia's and my lives that we share them with no one. They are therefore the most intimate things of our relationship. There are things we have uh, 
talked about as a family that are intimate among the Swindoll family. And now with our, with our, our, our in-laws who are part of our family. And some of these conversations are, 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 uh, profoundly private. And, and the intimacy of them is part of what binds us together as family and holds us, though we may be separated by hundreds, even thousands of miles. And I think God wants that for us between us and himself. And as we shall see, it, it, it isn't provided by the Father, and it doesn't come through the Son. That's not the role of Father or Son. It's the Spirit's role to bind himself around us and weave himself among us in such an intimate manner that these things sometimes lacking words to express, are the things that hold us as family and connect us with one another, making the fellowship of Christians the most intimate kind of thing uh, known on this earth. Again, this is the typical Holy Spirit kind of talk. The Holy Spirit does all of these things. Well, if the Holy Spirit so interwoven inside of us and it brings us together that it makes the fellowship among Christians the most sweetest, greatest thing ever, where is that? Where, where, first of all, Christians are divided. Though we, is that a fellowship? It's fighting. And, I, I, I can tell you, I've been with, I've hung out with Christians a lot in my Christian life. And let me tell you, sometimes I'm sitting there going, I don't think I have literally anything in common with these people. Because one thing, in many cases, God, Christ, the Spirit, the Word of God is not even at the center of the quote unquote fellowship we're supposedly having. So it's just like, I know, I, I don't have any connection here. So I, this this is like, see, this is what we get. This is what it does. And you're like, where is this supposedly occurring? Outside the immediate family. I feel very deeply about this. 1 Corinthians 2.9 and following is another example. Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. His point is, there are things that the natural world cannot grasp and will never appreciate. To them, they are moros. They are moronic. They're foolish. These things that are precious to us, which eye and ear uh, cannot grasp, they are not that kind of thing, not empirical knowledge, not something proved in a test tube. They are inner, they are deep, they are intimate all these things God has prepared for those who love him. He doesn't stop there. Now look, for to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. How interesting. These things that I... Who's the us? To every Christian? Do we just get some kind of revelation? Or did he reveal this to the apostles and the writers of the New Testament? And that we have that truth found in Scripture. I apologize there. Almost had to hiccup there, so I apologize. But... um. Like what? Who 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 is this being revealed to? Has not seen and ear has not heard and tongue cannot express. These things are the things God reveals to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, even the bathos of God, the depths, the deepest things of God. The Spirit is able to probe into the mysterious mind and profound will of God. He traffics there. He is comfortable in that scene. 
He knows his way around in our words. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God. No one, no woman, no man, no, no person knows except the spirit of God. And now, look at this marvelous provision. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but we have received the spirit who is from God. Why? That we might know the things Freely given to us by God. You say, well, that, then that means I should take a course at a school where there are teachers that are able to explain the Bible. Wait, look at the next verse. Which things we speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. What does that mean? I'm not here today to answer all the questions I'm throwing out. I'm just raising to the level of your consciousness a dimension of the Christian life that I'm convinced few in the body ever plumb, ever approach, to say nothing of experience. There are spiritual uh, thoughts combined with spiritual words taught by the Spirit. Let me put it this way. We, we, play, we place a lot of attention and importance upon the ministry of the Word, and it is important. But I want to tell you, there is the ministry of God that is profoundly beyond just the ministry of explaining. Once again, making, making these claims. Well, if the Spirit of God is the one teaching these deeper things and all Christians have the Holy Spirit, then we should all understand the deeper things and there should be complete unity. But he's saying, but not most Christians never experience this. So this is only for the select few. Well, should we then not just figure out who are the select few who experience this deep teaching of the Holy Spirit and then create a magisterial authority that we listen to because they are the ones who have the understanding? Like, like he, he's bringing up all these things the Spirit is doing, but he's not addressing the elephant in the room. Well, then there would be all unity within Christianity. Like, it, there, would, there wouldn't be all of the problems, but he's not even attempting to address the reality. He, he's just making all of that. It's just, just is so common in teaching about the Holy Spirit. Words of Scripture. And it is that which touches the heart. It is that which moves you with passion to change, that which reproves you of wrong in your life. And, and it's the work of the Spirit as he probes. Having spent his existence in the deep things of God, he is able to bring those thoughts to us. Uh, jump from uh, 1 Corinthians way over to 1 John. Let me mention a couple of more of these intimate activities that I'm so concerned that we not miss. These are all some of the these are all the places we want to go in this series. 1 John 2, 18. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many on Antichrists have arisen. From this we know that it is the last hour. 
They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out in order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. In the earlier versions of the Bible, this is rendered unction. You have an unction from the Holy One. It is rendered here anointing. It's not a special class of people. John is writing to uh, the church at large. He is writing to Christians. Uh, uh, we would say generically, we, he's writing to people in no particular geography or no particular setting, or if he did, it's certainly not stated in the early part of his letter. So this is to people like us. Do you know that you have an anointing of the Spirit? Do you know what that means? Does that frighten you? shouldn't, but it does a little. Chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, what is? The spirit that does not confess Jesus is from God. That's the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You have a, a power. I would rather use the word dynamic. I'm weary of the word power. It's power everything power worship along with power ties there were power power that this is a dynamic let's let's use the correct uh, 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 transliteration of, of the word dunamis a dynamic we have a dynamic within us and the dynamic allows us to test the spirits to see whether they are God are of God do you test the spirits with this dynamic that is greater within you than all of the dynamic of the world? Are you even aware of a dynamic within you? Again, more claims. We've got this, this ability to test the spirit. Well, we have this ability. We have this dynamic. We have this power. Where is the pr presence of that power and that dynamic when we can't even agree on any doctrine or theology? It's just all of these claims without dealing with the, the reality and the problems that these claims present. And it's, 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 it's kind of frustrating, but, but here's what I'll do. Here's what we're going to do. Here's my, here's my assignment to you. It's very simple, very straightforward. Find a, whichever podcast app you use, look for Insight for Living, subscribe to the podcast, and start listening to this series. You can get that. You just listened to yesterday's episode. We just reviewed it, critiqued it, analyzed it. Start with today and just start listening. As you are listening to each episode, all I want you to do is just write down anything you think, well, that, that's a very interesting point, or that was a good point, or I want, I don't, I'm confused by that point, and just send me 
just email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Okay, here's the episode I was listening to. It's at the six-minute mark. Here's what I don't understand. Here's what I'm confused, or I would like to get your take on it. I would like to hear you critique it, and then I will go directly to that section, and boom. We're not going to review every uh, episode in the series. We're not going to do that, but I wanted to, to at least point people to it. Obviously, you can hear my disagreement with much of it, but you can see why. Because he he mentioned things, and you're like, well, wait a minute, that would mean that would that would mean we shouldn't sin. Wait, that that means we should all agree. Wait, that means we should all know the truth. Like when you make a claim, you have to then take that claim to its logical conclusion. If I make this claim, then this is what that means. But clearly, it's not. It can't mean that because it's not the reality. I don't know why Christians seem to have a hard time. We just make outlandish claims. And nobody's like, well, wait a minute. If that's true, then why this, 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 that? Nope. I, I guess in Christianity, you're never supposed to ask why. You're just supposed to be told what it is, how it is, and you're just supposed to blindly accept it. And I reject that outright. That when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we make insane claims that nobody in their right mind believes is actually occurring unless you're deluded and delusional and convince yourself of something that's not real. All right, there you go. So Insight for Living, the new series by Chuck Swindoll, actually an old series being replayed. Find it on wherever you get your podcast apps, wherever you get your podcast on whichever app you're using. Start listening and then just let me know like, okay, this episode, this right here, form from the four minute to 10 minute mark. I need, I need you to critique that or, or I thought this was good. Do you agree? Or I thought it was wonder, horrible. Do you agree? Whatever the case may be. And I will engage just those sections. I'm going to be listening um, as well. And I'll probably bring a, a couple. I don't know how, 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 how long we'll take this. We have already done 19 parts on the Holy Spirit, but I thought this would just be a, a fun addition. And hopefully you will agree. All right, you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. All right, thanks for listening. Everyone have a great evening, a great Friday, a great weekend. God bless.